Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Maria Dulles from the Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us here today. This is our first episode of 2018. Uh, it's Maria's second episode back. Woohoo! <laughs> so we're excited to be here. We got thrown off a tiny bit by some winter weather, as everybody in New York did. So we, we bumped uh, to the beginning of this week, but we're excited to be here. And there's so much to talk about. Um, the year really started off with quite a bit going on. Uh, today, we're joined by Laura Namias, political reporter from Politico New York. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, and today, so we have a slightly different show today. Usually we dig into one topic in a really big way. But given the large amount of political news happening very early in the new year, we decided to do more of a news summary and analysis show and a look ahead about some of the big political dynamics unfolding this year. And that's one of the big reasons that we asked Laura to join us. Uh, she has a lot of expertise uh, covering both city and state politics uh, in Albany, covering Go- Governor Andrew Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio here in the city, and more. And now you've switched around your beat recently. What's what's What are you doing now? Uh, well, I'm, I'm writing, uh, co-writing with uh, Jimmy Vilkind every morning, our playbook, your essential digest of what you need to know in New York City and state politics. And I'm also covering New York City and state politics from a national angle, um, which I think will become increasingly important next year and then potentially in 2020 as well as working on longer investigative projects for Playbook and for Politico. Great. So perfect guest to start us off this year. And I am excited as a budget person and policy person because I am sitting here with the two people who start my morning every day, uh, aggregating all the headlines and essential things you need to know, New Yorkers, in the Gotham Gazette Roundup and in the political newsletters. So hooray. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So... um, Indeed, there's a lot of national implications with what's going on, and we're going to get to some of that, hopefully. Um, But for today's data point, Maria. Today's data point is 374, the number of pages of Governor Andrew Cuomo's 2018 State of the State policy book. Cuomo, a second-term Democrat running for re-election this year, gave his State of the State speech on Wednesday last week, outlining progress, challenges, and a handful of new proposals. Unlike past addresses, it was light on budget details, but did outline a strategy for blunting the impact of new federal tax legislation signed by President Trump just before Christmas. Cuomo's agenda-setting speech wasn't the only major political news of the first week of 2018. Mayor de Blasio, public advocate Letitia James, and controller Scott Stringer were all inaugurated for a second term on New Year's Day. And also on Wednesday last week, Corey Johnson was elected to be the new speaker of the city council. There's already a lot happening here in New York politics with much to watch for early this year, including the key intergovernmental dynamics, the relationship between the mayor, Mayor de Blasio and Corey Johnson and the new council class, and the upcoming budget proposals from Cuomo and de Blasio this month. Here to help us break it down is Laura Namias of Politico, and here we go. So um, our data point today organizes us around Governor Cuomo's state of the state. Let's start there. Let's each give... Um, a few of our key takeaways. Laura, start us off, our, our guest well, for the day. 375 pages is a, is a lot. That's a lot. Um, he usually uses a, a large typeface, so that's important. But it, it's not unusual to see him throw out 
dozens of ideas in any given year. That's been my experience for the entirety of the time that I, I've been covering him. And it's anyone's guess as to which ones he cares about the most. Um, and he does it in a way to to make sure that he gets at least something. He's giving legislators a menu of options from which they can choose in order to horse trade for their priorities. So that's something that he does every year. The length doesn't surprise me. Um, what I think a lot of people will be watching for is whether or not this year he prioritizes the planks of the policy book that he thinks he needs to in order to inoculate himself against uh, a challenge if he runs for when he runs for re-election in in 2018 a challenge from a, a liberal or someone to his left and that could mean that he maybe finally does something on ethics reform which would be like burning down the whole house but he might need to do that in order to uh, to keep someone like a Cynthia Nixon or someone from running against him, um, and whether or not he does something on campaign finance reform. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to be watching that very closely. And then in the more immediate sense, um, whether or not he's actually able to do anything or whether it's advisable to do anything on the most talked about piece of, of the agenda so far, which is implementing some state-level tax changes in order to blunt the effects of the recently passed federal tax plan. So yeah, he he outlined I'm... a couple of ideas on that. Right. So he seems to have a three-tiered strategy. Um, first two tiers very questionable on how effective they will be, but he said, you know, first we're going to sue. Um, not sure the, of the legal grounds and whether they're uh, stable enough. You know, he seems to be saying that it's discriminatory based on the fact that we're a blue state and it's a red government. Um, and so I'm not sure that that will be really an effective approach. The second one was, you know, our own repeal and replace, uh, that this tax reform bill should be repealed and replaced with another kind of tax uh, reform effort. And then finally, I think where the governor... Uh, will be putting more focus and should be putting more focus is what do we do? Um, what are going to be the impacts of this federal legislation and what are some viable options for the state to get around and sort of limit the impact where it could potentially be um, detrimental or at least a little harmful, particularly for the t you know, top earners um, who constitute so much of the state and, and city tax base. Um, Surprisingly, I think besides this, there was very little on the budget, even though the this, the governor is facing a $4 billion deficit, very little about Medicaid and school aid, which are the two big buckets of state dollars. Talked a little bit about some infrastructure proposals um, and mentioned congestion pricing, but didn't go so far as to say, hey, here's what the big idea is. I'm going to start selling it right now. Um, instead, he said that there is this panel that he's appointed for Fix New York and that they will be releasing not recommendations, but options in advance of the budget. So to be seen how that plays out. I think you hit the nail on the head right there at the end, which is, you know, a bit of a Cuomo dance we're seeing here with a few things, not only the response to the tax reform, hey, here's a few things we're going to try, here's some things we're exploring. <laughs> Time's going to run out pretty quickly on having to take action. I mean, they're saying they're going to sue, so maybe that can make some headway for not having to recreate the New York tax code or just having to deal with the fallout from this actually becoming law and taking effect. Same thing on congestion pricing. We're talking about a few possible options here. It's unclear, and this is, I think, 
sort of a typical Cuomo move, right? He makes a panel yeah. to, cha- to tackle mm-hmm. a hard topic, mm-hmm. and then he's going to sort of say, well, these are the panel recommendations. I think we should just go with them like he did with the minimum wage. Um, or he'll decide... To just throw it away altogether like yeah, he did with a lot of the post-Sandy stuff and with any number of other commissions that he's impaneled over the the past couple of years. Yeah, he when, when the state overturned the city's plastic bag fee law, they made a panel for recommendations. I've tried the to get... The bag commission, yeah. <laughs> the bag commission's been bagged, maybe. Um, I've, I've tried to... <laughs> find out more about where that commission stands and have been stonewalled. Um, so maybe we'll get some more information on that soon. But anyway, the budget address is coming up. He is going to have mm-hmm. to get more into the budget, as you say, Maria, in the next week, really. It's, I think, believe January 16th he's expected to give his budget presentation. Um, so we're going to see a lot more from the governor there about this deficit. In terms of some other things he did put out there, and I think, Laura, you make a great point around, we don't really know what he's going to prioritize yet. Mm-hmm. He clearly wants to do something around sexual harassment laws. Those seem like fairly low-hanging fruit for him, things that he can rally people around. They're good electorally. Um, I'm not saying they don't need to be done, but it seems like he might put some weight behind that. He might put some weight behind that, but I think that he is going to run into trouble if he doesn't turn the lens on his own house and he immediately ran into trouble when he was gave one of his or started answering questions for the first time in a while, um, and and was asked by a veteran Albany reporter Karen Dewitt about what uh, the legislature and what the executive chamber were doing to address their own potential problems with sexual harassment, and he tried to sort of push it off onto what is the media doing. And and his sexual harassment proposals that were in, in the policy book largely focus on um, compliance for outside companies, right? And Companies uh, doing business with the state. Companies yeah. doing business with the state. And it doesn't address what I think a lot of people would say is, is a huge problem that still exists in Albany in elected office. Um, and... I, I don't think that anything is going to pass muster if he doesn't also include some new measures at the state level. Right. I think that that's going to be a pretty interesting aspect of the public pushback, the media pushback. But that's something that sometimes the legislature likes to get on board with because they don't necessarily like to look inward either, right? So it's like, you know, there might be some legislative support for what Cuomo's trying to do here. They can all claim victory and they're not doing the types of ethics reforms, because this falls under the bucket of ethics reforms, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think you you also hit a really good point earlier when you you brought up the idea of what's Cuomo going to prioritize to also protect his left flank ahead of this election season, and can he um, sort of keep some of the more prominent lefty potential challengers like a Cynthia Nixon or even a Zephyr Teachout from jumping back into the mix if she's recruited in a, you know, aggressive way and and there seems to be nobody else other than terry gibson who's out there giving it a shot right now um and campaign finance reform is certainly one area where you hear a lot of that almost like you heard the the fracking activists four years ago Mm -hmm. you know and he sort of um gave into that a bit um yeah and you know the corruption trials are also on the horizon here and so ahead of that you have um flanagan saying there needs to be a top to bottom review of economic development right so 
There's a lot going on there. There's definitely not enough transparency, even where their benefits reported. The results are not overwhelming, and yet the dollars invested at this at the state and local level continue to grow and grow budget over budget. I mean, the government, the governor feels very strongly about economic development, um, but we don't know enough about what we're getting in return. And so, you know, will will they sort of get it together and pressure him a little bit more here and get them to adopt some metrics, a data a database of deals, and some of the other things that CBC and other good governments have been calling, good government groups have been calling for. His like most strongly felt principle on economic development seems to be that the legislature should not have control of the dollars, <laughs> right. and that and if the controller anyone, shouldn't look at them. Right. <laughs> well, and it, that that his judgment is is paramount there. Uh, that he doesn't want to have he doesn't want there to be the same kind of. I mean, maybe maybe he's doing sort of like pork barrel spending, which is what the or his his aides are, or there might be something unseemly about some of these developments, but but they're his and they're not the legislature's, um, which is sort of the crux of what the upcoming uh, uh, Prococo trial is about, anyway. But right, so you both you both bring those trials up. You've been you've been in court a little bit, and you're, yeah. you'll be fought. so. What are we going to see here? Or what do you think we might see here in 2018 to, to, to tie these threads together here? Well, I I don't. The trial, I think the Prococo trial, um, and it's a trial of other people involved in, in these economic development projects, like an energy company executive, et cetera, um, is just going to have a lot of information about the way that economic development works under this administration. It might be very nitty-gritty. I, I pity the jury. Um, it's supposed to be a really long trial. But it should be illuminating for people like us um, in terms of the access that we're going to be getting uh, to documents and communications between Cuomo administration officials, lobbyists, and uh, development officials about how projects get done in New York, which is something that we, um, and you know this and Maria knows this too, it's hard to get information um, going through the normal channels unless you have subpoena power. Yeah, one of the first guests we had on this podcast was Controller Tom DiNapoli, and we were talking with him about his efforts to try to... uh, reform some of the procurement rules and laws coming out of the scandals over these contracts. And and that was a push even before the scandals broke, these alleged bid rigging and, and kickback schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be two trials related to right. the programs. Um, and then the also these trials of the retrial of Dean Skelos and the retrial of Shelton Silver and other trials. I mean, 2018 in New York is looking like it, it could be a, a messy year in terms of sort of the public um, getting a real look under the under the curtain at how some of this stuff has gone and, and donor access and, and all that stuff. Um, how is the governor going to handle that? Is he going to have to take it head on? I mean, it seems like in you know he put out his his government ethics campaign finance reform agenda. Mostly it's repetition of past years. Mm-hmm. He very briefly spoke about it during his hour and a half long address. Um, He's going to have to face the these trials a little bit. He's going to have to discuss them some. They're going to be so present. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not. If he, he would have to face them if he were in a situation like, um, like Mayor Bill de Blasio where he gets shamed into making a, a public appearance and doing a press conference once a week. But this governor can go like six months without a sit-down press conference and he's developed new fondness for this thing of like having 
um, a, a dial-in press conference where his aides secretly, by some shadowy mechanism, get to pick which reporters get to ask the questions. And he's newly fond of, of going on television to talk about his attacks on uh, the federal government, which doesn't address our, like, must seem picky and to, to outsiders, kind of like local issues. Um, so he is very good at limiting himself to saying what he wants to say, and then he strategically picks a press conference in New York City when he wants to say something nasty about the mayor or respond to something the mayor did and is able to sidestep things that way. There's nothing to say that he's going to have to face the music on this, particularly if the trials wrap up before uh, the campaign season really gets underway, which is like late summer. Um, yeah, so the timing might be tricky for him. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it might be tricky for him. But the other thing is that I think he has done the best job that he could do of separating himself from Prococo. It seems like he has cut off the access. And then I don't think that we will see, although we could be surprised, I don't think that we'll see coming out of these trials the same kinds of things that we saw, for instance, in the Norman Seabrook trial, where we have actual emails from Mayor de Blasio to this um, now indicted donor uh, fixer type. Um, Governor Cuomo, I think, is more careful about the way that he communicates. Uh, and, and those text messages and those emails, if they did exist, I don't know if they there's any records of them. So the actual physical evidence tying him to some of the things that could create like a, an impression and in the public's mind that he's so embedded with it um, may not be there. I, I, I may be wrong, and, mm-hmm. and you may be right, but I, I think he'll be able to brush it off. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just think, you know, he'll either have to face some of it publicly or the, the public media narrative is really going to be that we never really – the press never gets to hear from the governor. He doesn't go on any right. – you know, he doesn't talk about these things and look at these trials. And it almost might force him to be a little more proactive in in talking about those things. I mean, I remember when some of this first broke, he had an event in Buffalo like the next day or two right. days later. And he, from a podium, actually talked about, you know, Prococo and, you know, some of the – he didn't name him, but, you know, he talked about it head on a little bit. I don't know that I see that coming more, but, you know, in some way he's going to have to face the music either yeah. passively or, or not. Right. Um, I do also want to mention, you know, there is this huge policy book. We've hit on a few of the things that are in it. We've hit on a few of the things that he sort of mentioned from the stage in Albany. There's a lot in it. You've obviously, you know, you and your colleagues at Politico have covered it. We've covered it at Gotham Gazette. You know, folks should look at a lot of the proposals he's put out there. Absolutely. <laughs> some of them might stick. Some of them will go you know, just stay in that book and never be heard from again. But there are things like he's got, it seems like a a new push on bail reform that a lot of people have been calling for. Mm. He talked a little bit, uh, had some new proposals around workforce development. You know, some of these things that will be priorities in some ways, and the governor always gets some of what he wants in the budget and in the legislative session. So there are certainly some meat and potatoes things to look at in these proposals and to see where they go. There's lots of advocates talking about the Child Victims Act, you know, just all sorts of political things that will will be on the menu here, even if they are overshadowed at times by corruption trials, the federal tax bill, um, and other political dynamics. The bail reform thing could be huge for him and, and the other criminal justice things that he has proposed, because that would score points for him with 
a, a population that even Mayor de Blasio has managed to alienate, um, and that's it, it, an, an important part of the like active voting base on the left are very interested in those kinds of criminal justice reforms that can Absolutely. help them out there. So we're going to transition, speaking of Mayor de Blasio, we're going to transition a little bit into, into uh, some of our other topics for today. And one way to do that is, um, you know, the governor seems to be talking a lot. He talked about it during his State of the State, and he's made some other appearances lately where he's talking about this theme of what it means to be a progressive. And it, eh. this, is not the, <laughs> this is not the first time uh, that he's done this, but he's really been hitting at this a few times lately. The governor, before he even gave a state of the state, he swore in the new Nassau County Executive, Laura Kern. Um, she flipped that uh, seat to Democrat mm-hmm. in Westchester County, where the governor lives. Uh, there's now a Democrat replacing a Republican for county executive. Rob Astorino, who Rob Astorino ran against him for governor last exactly. time. Exactly. So Cuomo has not hid his delight in that. And just um, Sunday of this of this week, the governor swore in George Latimer, the new Westchester County executive. And again, he hit on this theme of what does it mean to be a progressive? And he doesn't name Mayor de Blasio, but you can't help sort of read into it a little bit. And uh, let's hear just a quick clip on that. Everybody now is a progressive. You ask any Democrat, who are you? What are you? Oh, well, I'm a progressive. I'm a progressive. Yeah, great. What the heck does that mean, a progressive? It means I don't want to say liberal, so I say progressive. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Besides that, what does it mean? Pragmatic progressive, meaning a progressive person in ideology but a person who gets something done. Because we lose people when you are in, in, unable to affect their lives. And they're tired of hearing speeches about how progressive people are and nothing changing. Make a difference in my life. I don't want the theory, I don't want the speech, I don't want the press release. Keep the press release. Do something that makes a difference in my life. All right. Those shots I heard fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Um, is it just that everywhere Governor Cuomo goes, he has to needle <laughs> Mayor de Blasio? Or, or maybe that's not even so much about the mayor. It's more the governor trying to defend his approach. What do you think? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, but uh, did you guys hear the part where it seems like he's about to say incompetent and then he, he stops mm-hmm. himself and changes it to say unable to get things done or whatever? It's interesting. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that he has this fundamental battle, like power struggle um, with, with de Blasio that is never going to end because it's not just about... N- tiny little things. It is fundamentally about the way that they see government and how they believe that government should be done. And this pragmatism of Cuomo's is the through line in everything. He is this consummate deal maker. Um, And de Blasio is, if he's shown himself to be anything, it's really not good at making deals at all. Um, <laughs> even the deals that he does make uh, a lot of times have a tendency to fall through. Um, and the only real like compromise or one of the few compromise accomplishments that he's been able to get done was the very first one on which he expended, I guess, all of his political capital to get universal pre-kindergarten in Albany um, for, the, for the city. Um, I, I, think that, I think that Cuomo 
is also defending himself against this idea of Bernie Sanders being the new face of the Democratic Party, potentially in advance of wanting to run in 2020. There's a lot of people, Bernie Sanders is this captivating, charismatic figure to young people and, and is like an ascendant person in the party as opposed to Hillary Clinton, who now has gone so low that the mayor is insulting her. Um, but But Bernie Sanders did not accomplish a lot in the U.S. Senate. And Cuomo is going to try to paint the the things that he did where he may have compromised on on those like rock hard ideological progressive values as wins because at least he got something instead of just standing on a rock and and you know pontificating and not getting anything done at all. Ben, you wrote about a column about this topic too recently. Yeah, yeah, I think you know well. There's a few things at play here, certainly, but the you know the mayor is clearly happy to distance himself from the sort of Cuomo Clinton type of Democrat, right? Um, but there is a lot to be said for Governor Cuomo's type of Democrat that has gotten a lot done, and you know I'll never forget as he was as he was seeking re-election four years ago. You know he's now going to be seeking a third term when he was seeking a second term. You know, people were remembering, yeah, there's all these things you can question Cuomo on, but he got New York state government sort of under control to some extent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, budgets, you know, on time and things of that nature. All sorts of problems with that. Things pass in the middle of the night without review. We could go on and on. But Governor Cuomo, no doubt about it, even if the MTA is still falling apart, he can put, you know, try to put that aside. He's going to have a list of things that he's going to be able to say to Democratic voters either this year and or in 2020, you know, here are my big accomplishments. Yeah. So let's let's put Cuomo well, aside th- for a second. Theoretically, <laughs> the mayor just did the same thing, right? He was just reelected. Yeah. Um, so I guess voters felt that way about him, too. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Mayor de Blasio a little bit more. He, as Maria said, just reelected, had Bernie at the inauguration. What... Um, What's top of mind for you as we go into term two here for Mayor de Blasio, 2018? Is this going to be really tough going for him? Or is he a little bit, um, now that he's gotten through the re-election, sort of wind at his back? I think he thinks that the wind is at his back. Uh, I I don't know what sense you get. I mean, I'd be curious to know what you guys think. But it seems to me from everything we've seen that he he thinks that he he believes that he's gotten this mandate um in his reelection and he um wants to focus he really does seem to want to focus on national issues and it seems like it's that's not just something that comes from the heart it's also what's his next job going to be um is he auditioning for like the head of a think tank i i'm one of the the camp that doesn't think he's running for president um, I, I really don't think that he's running for president, but I, I, agree with you. I think that he's, he wants something. He wants to have some kind of voice on the national stage. He doesn't want to be like a beam or, or John Lindsay, God forbid, you know, right. <laughs> and, and wants to, he wants to stay relevant and be like the public advocate for the country or something like that. And that's where he seems to be turning a tremendous amount of attention. He wants to do fundraising to fundraise for his national travel and that's one of his top priorities right now but he might get like 
I mean, the reality check could always come if something terrible happens um, here and he city. just can't focus. Right. And, he, and he's been pulled back into that municipal, uh, you know, day to day by what's happened at NYCHA, by a snowstorm, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's no shortage. And I know CBC, you know, is looking at these things. There's no shortage of budgetary questions coming up on his, you know, yeah. health and hospitals. I mean, he's got a lot to deal with coming up that he's going to have to be paying attention to the city. But I do think that no matter what happened with his really poor performance trying to go on the national stage uh, in 2015, 2016, I really do think that he firmly believes that he's showing the way in New York and that people should be paying more attention just because they didn't the last time or didn't go perfectly or Bernie stole some of his thunder that there isn't you know, a place for him and a demand for him. And, you know, some of these narratives are are not giving him the, the credit that he's due. And I agree that I don't think he's going to run for president, but I do think that he thinks people should be sort of thinking about him running for president, you know, yeah. like sort of clamoring for him to have a bigger voice and a bigger platform maybe. Um, Maria, what are, what are some of the things from your perspective um, that de Blasio either coming out of what Cuomo's doing or, you know, that he has to to look at here in the early going? Well, I mean, coming out of the state of the state, the big questions for the mayor are, one, what what are the options on congestion pricing? I mean, he's pretty adamantly against it. Um, Not so sensibly, I would say, CBC would say. Um, But, you know, what will be, yeah, what's the package that goes on the table and what, how, how will the mayor address it and react to it? And will he, you know, sort of try to improve the proposal to his liking to make it less regressive. You know, it's unclear what his approach will be. Depends on what what is you know what's proposed. Um, the other thing is really this this sort of line that was in the state of state about homeless services. Mm-hmm. That has been a big drain on the city. Not a big drain, but it's it's there's a lot more money going towards homeless services. It's one of the quality of life issues that people are very sensitive about in the city. And sort of Cuomo's reaction to that in this practical progressive vein was, well, if you're not doing enough outreach, you're not going to get the state money. And so it may be an area where the city will get dinged, um, depending on how that plays out. That's one of the biggest things I'm looking for. I asked the mayor about this if he was proactively trying to avoid this is how will Cuomo craft his budget to push some costs off onto New York City, almost like he tried two years ago with CUNY and Medicaid. Tries every year. Right. Yeah, less so last year. I mean, it was smaller, yeah. but yeah. We, there may be some surprises there. I mean, they certainly are pointing to this, you know. The they, surplus. Right. Yeah. They, you know, the surplus, which may I say there is no surplus. The money <laughs> balances the budget in the current year. Yes, the city does have reserves, but it is not a surplus of the size that is, you know, commonly talked about, certainly by elected leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, you know, what are they going to do? And it's it's this, again, pointing to the surplus, it goes back to the feeling that the city can pony up to pay this additional money for the MTA's operating plan to get the service plan in, in you know, operating. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. There could be any number of proposals in the city that the mayor will not be happy about once we see the, the budget out. Um, but, you know, the mayor's got his own. He's going to release his proposal at, in the middle of the month. And then the question there will also be, what is he doing to either deal with whatever impacts we see in the state budget or really start to prepare for what could be coming down the pike, both with this federal tax reform bill um, or any other cuts that the Republicans are likely to pursue. Um, and those cuts will likely hit NYCHA and H&H the hardest 
And those are two areas where, yes, there are strategic plans on the table, but it doesn't seem that the administration has really been pushing to get them implemented and help these entities stand on their own. So it's going to be two big lingering question marks for de Blasio in this the second term. Right. And in our last couple minutes here, um, he is going to be now negotiating those with the new city council speaker, Corey mm-hmm. Johnson, with the new finance chair of the city council. We don't know who that's going to be yet. We're hearing lots of things. We're pretty sure that that's going to land back in Queens, but um, we'll see. What's that going to look like? What do we, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, first, I think, um, I think Corey Johnson and this council are going to set a tone this first budget season of, you know, there's a, there's sort of a new um, power sheriff? in town. Yeah, yeah, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new, you know, and, uh, and you're going to see that, I think, as a direct manifestation of just how this speaker was chosen and being very different than four years ago and, and the fact that there's just a lot of clamoring in the council for, for being tougher with the, with the mayoral administration. I think so, too. The rumblings um, over the past couple of years in each budget cycle and the level of, of frustration among the council members with what they saw as, as the executive budget office and the mayor not um, holding the line on spending... Uh, uh, making contingency plans for for disasters or an economic downturn or the Trump administration um, has really reached a point where it's politically expedient for Corey Johnson to be to not be Melissa Mark Viverito. Um, it's it. A lot of council members have been increasingly willing to stake out their opposition to the mayor on any number of things. It plays well with with their constituents. Um, so I think that Corey Johnson is going to be a very different kind of speaker, or if not very different, at least different. Um, and he he comes from a, a different background, and he the people who helped him get where he is are different than the ones who got Melissa Mark Viverito where she was too. I agree with all that, but I'll also say in conjunction that some of what I think is, you know, they mostly believe in a lot of the same things, yeah. right? And they say that. So the degree of conflict will be interesting, you know, the, and, and, and the other thing at play is that council members always want to spend more. Mm-hmm. They want their pet projects funded. They want more summer youth employment seats. They want more, you know, you name it, investment in parks in their districts. There's no, there's no end to what council members will call for new spending on. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they balance, hey, here's what we want some additional spending on, but Mayor de Blasio, we really want you to get your house in order and make some cuts at your agencies that have ballooned so much over the last four years. Um, and I think seeing how they put numbers to that and specifics to that will be a big challenge for Corey Johnson because you can talk about yeah. being more independent and, and being tougher. I don't know that that actually shows up as much in the budget as it does in negotiations over land use and legislation. Right. It hasn't yet so far. But you did see, like, for instance, um, Corey Johnson seems to be in favor of the city adding more money to the MTA capital plan, is it? He's he's not falling in line with where the mayor's administration is on that. And that is a huge, I mean, that's a huge difference. If he's able to whip the rest of the council into feeling that way, then that's a fight. True. True. And right. congestion pricing. That's right. And he seems open to congestion pricing. And so you can actually envision a dynamic where they're able to get a home rule message passed from the council. Right. Yeah. No, I think that is very likely, although 
Corey Johnson became speaker with the backing of the Queens County, and there's a lot of Queens right. uh, opposition to congestion pricing. So that will be very interesting to see how he navigates that. And as we discussed here, so much of that is going to be about reacting to whatever the governor puts on the table, which could be who knows what formulation mm-hmm. of things. So that's all going to be very interesting. One more thing I wanted to note on that, and then any other you know final thoughts about what we're looking at here is... You know, I found it really fascinating as sort of a um, symbol of, of the change in the power dynamics that one of the first things that Johnson did was name, you know, one of the first things a new speaker has to do is name a rules committee, name a rules chair. And so his rules committee chair is Rory Lanceman, who is a Queens guy, you know, a former assembly member, now a council member, uh, very strongly, you know, Queens County also um, aligned with the governor much more than the mayor, has been a critic of the mayor. So he's now the rules committee chair. And the prior rules committee chair had been Brad Lander, who was progressive caucus, replaced de Blasio in the council, um, and not necessarily just a you know de Blasio ally, but much more of a you know Melissa Mark Verito ally in progressive caucus. So I thought that was interesting. Um, any other things we should be looking for here in the next few weeks uh, coming up? Um, I on the on the national front um the implosion of steve bannon this <laughs> week um is gonna have a will potentially have a an impact on the two congressional races lee zeldin he, he was helping out lee zeldin out on long island and um nominally was was backing michael Grimm against dan donovan so we might see some changes in in those those races it'll be interesting to see how that how that shakes out um uh, and then whether or not any more challengers pop out of the woodwork um, for the other congressional seats, particularly for the Republican congressional representatives who voted in favor of the tax plan in, p- in places where it's unpopular. But and then more more um, locally, um, I am as always very excited for the January fifteenth campaign finance filings. Mm, well, we should yes, see some interesting yes, yes. things in there. We might see some um, uh, uh, De Blasio spending or fundraising um, come out there for whatever he plans to do next. Um, we'll see the city council speaker fundraising, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and any number of other interesting doodads and whatnots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dates on my calendar are the 16th for the New York State Executive Budget and the 26th, at least for now, for the city's preliminary budget. And then, you know, we'll be looking to see how these city council um, committee chairs are filled. Yes, absolutely. That's that's definitely um, high on my list to see who where these powerful posts go. And I think, Laura, uh, I'll just close it out saying I think, you know, you hit on something really important there, which is these House seats you know, the mayor is not wrong when he says control of the House is very important to New York City. How much of a role he should have in trying to flip the House is another question. Um, and Governor Cuomo has promised to try to flip some of these seats of the people that he's called traitors or uh, whatever terms he's used on these House members who voted for the tax reform bill um, from New York. So um, those House races will will be very interesting to watch. And they're not, they're not that far off. No. Laura Namias. Thank you for joining us today. Thank Thank you you for having me. Bye.